I'm with Robert tonight, and uh, you joined us to talk about all things medical. Um, I've I've listened to a good portion of your book, and uh, I, to be honest, I had to tap out a couple times because between getting angry or sad, uh, it was it was just uh, the amount of information was just frustrating that you put out. Well, we live in very strange times, and uh, l- let me do let me do, I'm, I apologize for this, but let me do my standard disclaimer sure. at the start. Uh, this is not individual medical admit, uh, information. If you have a problem, you got to go to a doctor and see them. And we we do this for entertainment purposes only. But, you know, I've studied this stuff for four or five years. Plus, I have my whole medical history mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, training to inform it. So I, I believe everything I said, and I think it's important. Sure. And then so you were, a, a, I guess, tell us what your background is in the medical field and uh, kind of give an idea of who we're sure. talking to. Yeah, I... I did, I won't go too far back, but I did uh, emergency medicine, became board certified in emergency medicine and practiced that for a while. And then I went into cosmetic surgery and practiced cosmetic surgery for the bulk of my career. And everybody says, what what is a cosmetic surgeon doing talking about COVID and all this stuff? You're not an infectious disease expert and all that, but I'm sort of like Rip Van Winkle. I went to sleep for decades and was off in this bywater of medicine, which is cosmetic surgery, doing, you know, putting boobs in women and sucking the fat out of their whatever and, you know, trying <laughs> sure. to make them happy one way or the other. That's not always possible. But uh, and then I woke up. And the reason why I woke up is I, you know, by the time I, I'm 68 and by the time I got a little older, a lot of my patients are over 50 and they're mainly women and they were just suffering with menopause. So I started learning and training and treating people uh, with the bioidentical hormones. And I saw just fabulous results. I mean, these these women just turned their lives inside and out and they felt like they were 20 years younger. And I'm convinced that they live longer and uh, and do much better on mm-hmm. this stuff. And I wondered, I kept I kept seeing signs that they were suppressed. And I kept thinking, now why is there, there's this thing called a black box warning on drugs that is put on post-marketing that claims the drug has some horrible problem and everyone has to be aware of it, right? And so it's it's usually put off, put on if there's a bunch of deaths or some some crazy thing. So the three major drugs that I was using, uh, testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone, all had black box warnings on. And so I looked into it and I finally decided that they were fraudulent. And and then I dug deeper and deeper, and I learned that these drugs, because they're generics, they compete with proprietary drugs. So they're being run down by uh, sources, uh, you know, sources that compete with them from these drugs that cost thousands of dollars a month. And proprietary drugs that were inferior, which were also hormones, were being promoted, and even st- to this day are promoted in uh, television advertisements, like the horse urine estrogen, right? Mm-hmm. That's uh, Premarin and others. And the uh, chemical progesterones, which are kind of a troublemaker. Now, they're not a bad enough troublemaker to say they should never be used, but I would go so far as to say they should never be used chronically, right? We have much better, we have a bioidentical progesterone, which is almost harmless uh, and with with some caveats. But so I, I started 
you know, training and learning about these things. And I became fascinated by this. I eventually wrote a book about it called Hormone Secrets, which you can get on Amazon or any other source. And uh, that's, uh, see, that's what goes on inside a person with hormones, right? And that maybe is a woman and maybe is a man, but see all the hormones and all the confusion going on, right? It's, it, we're all hormonal beings, women and men, men to, to kind of be ecumenical about it. But so I, I got interested in that. And then I gradually got led down uh, the road to learn more about medical corruption. And again, I had been off in this rabbit hole of cosmetic surgery. I mean, you read about how to do the surgeries, you argue about the problems, you, you go to these meetings. And I was very well trained for a period of 10 years. I went to a, a major medical meeting every month, you know, for three days. So I, I understood that field quite well. And and I mean, it's, I woke up one day and realized that hormones were uh, being run down and that soon I started to realize the rest of medication, medicine as a whole was exceedingly corrupt. And I butchered by healthcare, my, my uh, primary work grew out of that. And so again, this one's available on, and this is the prelude to what's going on today. I published it right before, I published it in, I think it was uh, early 20. 20 or late 2019. So it told about the story leading up to what's going on today and the patterns that we are seeing now with these pharmaceutical companies. Um, and they were doing the same thing before. It just wasn't quite as blatant and insane as it is now. So, so that's my, that's my uh, basic background story. And we can get into uh, the medical corruption issues if sure. you'd like in brief, briefly. Yeah. So a, a couple things that have frustrated me and, and, uh, especially in the past couple of years, the amount of people who immediately discredit anybody that, uh, and what's weird is if, if you're not a quote unquote specialized doctor in that field, everybody basically will, will push you off and God forbid you're in any other field, but you can read a medical journal and draw your own conclusions to it. Uh, everybody wants the person to give the information, but so many people can and interpret the same information and, and come to a conclusion. But as soon as anybody does, they get pushed to the side. And it's been very strange for me, especially reading a lot of the stuff that was in your book. Um, the things you had feelings about that you're like, boy, this just doesn't feel right. If you dig a little deeper into it isn't. I mean, I, I remember several times I've gone to the doctor for various things. I'm there for five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe. And they hand me a script for some sort of uh, pick something from depression, yeah. anxiety to uh, pain medication. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. Like you barely talk to me. And uh, stuff like that just has never felt right. When you watch other people go to the doctors, it, it, it just seems like we, we, we do it in a very, very strange way that just feels like it's something doesn't make sense all the time for me. Well, the, the problem is, is that um, the corporations now run the show and they are indifferent. I don't mean that they seek out patient harm, but they're indifferent. They don't to patient harms. They're indifferent to what happens. Their main focus, their entire focus is how much money they're going to make. And even if they get penalized criminal penalties, and we'll see later that the pharmaceutical companies have more criminal settlements than any industry in history. 
any industry in history. Just wrap your mind around that for a moment. Um, but they're 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 not good or bad, but they're just looking under the tree of money and not the tree of right and wrong. And I disagree with people who say that that a well-educated person or a person who reads can't make judgments. I think, you know, we have the patient advocacy groups right now. And in those groups are people who, in my opinion, know more about a given part of medicine than the doctors do. I mean, they're tremendously well-versed and they'll help you for free if you join the group and you tell them your, your story. So that's, that's one of the new things that has happened, which is, which is very, very positive. The other thing that's happened is we can go virtually to see any doctor who's willing to see us in the country and they can generally prescribe medications uh, out of state. And so this has happened. And those are two very positive trends. So I, I, I want to disclaim, I don't want to have you think that I hate all medicine or I think all medicine is bad. Many miracles get done every day. Mm -hmm. But um, that I just told you two of the positive trends and I have hard hard time finding another one. <laughs> Oh, that's not good. <laughs> no, it's, it's, and this corruption I describe in this butchered by healthcare is endemic. It's every specialty field. It's, it's every corporation that's involved. And the, the worst ones are stunningly bad. The hospitals, the pharmaceutical companies, the medical device companies that make the hardware, they all, uh, they're all, they all systemically ruin the studies. Um, you know, the, the last two ruin the studies that are required for their their products to get on the market because they have the regulators in their pocket. They're, the regulators are sock puppets of the companies, Well, and it, the FDA, for example. And it seems so weird. I was, um, I can't remember where I got this information, but I was reading or watching something. And the drug companies hire their own testers, basically, to run. <laughs> yeah. And then See, they keep all you the picked information. Up the scent. You're like, wait, what? You picked up the scent. Like, yeah, they can conceal whatever they want. Like, for example, the human papillomavirus, HPV vaccine, I think it's called Gardasil. That stuff, half of the studies were thrown away or concealed by the companies. And Japan threw out the whole thing. Only 1% of the people in Japan get vaccinated for the HPV. In theory, it prevents cervical cancer. It sounds like a great deal. But in fact, someone who conceals 50% of the information from you can be assumed to be absolutely a liar, right? <laughs> right. So you, you can't trust them for anything. You certainly can't conclude that whatever they say is correct based on the other 50% of the information. So I believe that uh, Gardasil is a fraudulent vaccine, even though it's used universally in the United States and Europe. Japan looked at it and just shook their heads and threw it out the window. Is it because it doesn't work or because it has so many side effects or what's the... Okay, so there, the, the most of the vaccines to date have not harmed a lot of people, right? Now we're, we're, seeing, some, we're seeing some horrific exceptions right now, but um, no, it, it's, not, it's not that big a deal. If, if your kids are going to school and you want to leave them in that school and they say he's got to get the HPV vaccine to stay, you're, you're probably better off just complying and not getting excited about it because the chances of harm are very small. They're, they're there, but they're, they're super small. Okay. Um, and then I guess flu vaccine is sorry. Flu vaccine is the same way. Flu vaccine is in my opinion, entirely worthless. Certainly given the a hundred billion dollars that we've spent on it and the minimal amount of good it does. And your listeners can go to Cochrane reviews, C O C R A I N E reviews, which is the most respected source in medicine and read the summaries about the influenza vaccine. 
it doesn't it doesn't do it doesn't do much of anything and uh it but it doesn't knock people off mm-hmm. so that's like the sweet spot right there if, if you have something that doesn't really hurt people but it also doesn't help them but you can convince through marketing and other means for everybody to take it it seems like you can make a lot of money well the sweet spot is to find something that works like viagra <laughs> that's the sweet spot <laughs> right <laughs> you know? and, i have well, a friend that i have a friend that has some experience with viagra yeah well <laughs> a friend right well, yeah yeah i know a guy. one of my friends i think everybody knows a guy uh, yeah yeah but what, what, what's weird about that is that type of medicine right there you instantly know this works there's no there's no boy i hope i don't get the flu i took this medicine and i'm gonna wait for three months and okay i didn't get the flu it could be the flu shot or i just didn't get it where some medications use viagra for example there's no, you wouldn't keep taking it at after three, four months. You're like, I'm not sure if it's working or not. You just wouldn't. Yeah. Or if it had terrible side effects of some sort that, you know, really reacted with you in a, a poor way, you'd be like, I'm not doing this anymore. Unless, unless it was addictive. Well, and that's yeah, the yeah. case of the psychiatric medications, which we can get into later. The psychiatric medications are tremendously addictive and they don't have withdrawal effects. They're like the opioids. You don't get the shakes and sweat and all that stuff, but you have tremendous crashing anxiety and depression mm -hmm. when you try to get off most of them. And it's almost impossible to get off. If you've been on Prozac, for example, for five years, I mean, to get off of it is like a miracle. I mean, you got to do tapering doses. The compounding pharmacist has to put together smaller and smaller doses over months to years and most people don't get off of it if they've been on it for years and they're stuck with it they're stuck with the effects which are pretty profound so when when you get prescribed something like that and that's this is one of the the curious things to me so you have something like prozac it never seems like there's enough um i'm sure there's some people out there that that helps without a doubt one way or another but there never seems to be enough um testing and boiling it down to what's really wrong with you it seems like a lot of these things are like oh okay you feel this way here take this forever and let's yeah let's use prozac as an example there's plenty of testing but the results are covered up they're statistically uh adult you know they're statistically ruined or they use contract research groups in other countries and bribe them to say things that aren't true but in the case of prozac uh and many cases of prescription drugs, we don't find out what's going on until people start suing the drug companies. And Prozac, I have colleagues who were involved with the initial litigation against Prozac because the class of drugs, the SSRI class of drugs, um, causes violent behavior and suicides in a small percentage and violent thoughts and thoughts of suicides in a fairly small percentage. Right. And this is an early effect that wasn't acknowledged by the drug company that they knew full well about that was obtained in the court discovery. Right. Mm -hmm. uh oh. Uh oh. Marketed when the plaintiff's lawyers got a hold of them, representing the people who killed themselves, or representing the families of the patients who kill themselves. Um, then they found out all about it. And then after that, what happened was the company, which was Lilly, spent 50 or $100 million over the years settling these cases instead of taking the drug off the market. The, regulator, the, regulatory, the regulators are very weak. The FDA is 
a creature. It's bought off by big pharma because over half of their total budget of $5 billion comes directly from pharma in the form of user fees incurred during the patent process. And this, this started in 2003, and it was thought to be a bad idea by a lot of people back then, <laughs> but it even proved much worse than anyone ever thought. Sure. I mean, it was a terrible idea. So do, do you think the FDA does do any good? I mean, that's, that's where I get with all these things. Is it a lot of well-meaning people who are sort of plugged into the system and in separate, like, modes from everybody? They're, everybody's trying to do the right thing, but they're working off data that's just inherently flawed. Okay, at one time, the FDA was the most respected regulator in the world. And it was the inception had to do with the the inception of the regulatory environment in, in America had to do with um, some drug company selling thalidomide, right, which turned uh, which when taken by a pregnant woman, gave their babies, they killed them and gave them flippers and stuff like, <laughs> like that. So um, at one, t the FDA does have an enormous task and they are in theory in charge of inspecting um, drug manufacturer facilities all around the world. They can't possibly do that, you know, at intervals. And they, they sort of do it in the United States. But the answer is now there's no way to salvage the FDA. The FDA is a is a complete sock puppet. It's a regular it's a regulatory agency that has been quote captured, that's the term of art, by the industry that it's supposed to regulate. And they you you've you've seen that in their recent behavior approving these uh these drugs that are that are controversial now. That's we'll mm -hmm. call them controversial. But uh, unlike you, I believe there's a right and a wrong to all these scientific issues, and uh, and everyone has a right to to think about them and uh, decide in their own. So uh, yeah, I, I I don't ever think that the, I think most of most drug science, most medical science should be resolved within a certain period of time, and there should be a a, a flip switched in everybody's mind that we're never going to do this again, mm -hmm. or this is a good drug within limits or whatever it is. Yeah. And well, I guess what I was, my other thought is, so is the FDA at this point, is the, the whole system corrupt? I mean, when I look at my, uh, my, my friends that work in the medical field, they're nice, well-meaning people and they're, yeah. they want to do a good job and they're, they're, you know, want to help people, but they're also following a list of, uh, guidelines that have been handed down that they just follow because that's what you do. And the information that they're trusting to come from the FDA, if it's tainted, then they're, they're kind of stuck in the system also. Like I, that's where I, like, I don't understand how you'd, how you fix it at this point. Like, well, <laughs> John, that's the, that's the freaking question is how do we fix it? I mean, I think the first step is to red pill, everyone that there's something going on that is very, very bad. But let me, let me sort of give my um, presentation about uh, these mobsters, right? And so, you know, the top 22 drug makers have their own Wikipedia page of shame. And all you have to do is uh, search for, uh, you know, pharmaceutical company settlements and they're mm -hmm. billions of dollars a year. Okay. So you can search to, for the truth of what I said about the, uh, the huge settlements, criminal settlements. Peter Rost, who was a former Pfizer marketing vice president, he said, it's scary how many similarities there are between this industry and the mob. Obscene amounts of, and this is over 10 years ago, obscene amounts of money, killings and deaths, 
bribing politicians and others. The difference is all these people in the drug industry look upon themselves as law-abiding citizens. However, when they get together as a group, it's almost like when you have war atrocities. People do things they don't think they're capable of because the group can validate what you're doing is okay. And that's from his book, uh, The Whistleblower. There's another um, Park Davis CEO who said, if we put horse manure in a capsule, we could sell it to 95% of these doctors. That was Harry Loyne. And that's their attitude towards us and the patients, right? And so the, the FDA and pharma work together and they fake their drug studies. And that's, that's the, I just have to state it boldly like that because that's what they do. They corrupt their own research. And here's Peter Gertrude's comment. He's one of the founders of Cochrane. He said, the pervasive scientific misconduct has led to a research literature where one has to deep, dig, dig deeply to find the few gems among all the garbage. And there, there's one last quote I'll make, which is a title of a British medical journal editorial in July of this year, 2021, last year. And the, the title was, time to assume that health research is fraudulent until proven otherwise. So we all know what's going on. These guys are not to be trusted. They're, they're basically out for the money and they don't care about us. They've, they've turned our medical journals into prostitutes. Their editors are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars each, each year by the medical industry. And ghostwriters write 95% of those articles. And the authors are just some some prominent person who was paid to stick his name on the on the paper. Mm -hmm. So we call that a conflict of interest, right? In in medicine or law, I mean, I'm sorry, in in law, in 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 a in a legal environment, these guys would be forced to recuse themselves if they had financial conflicts. But that's not uh, that's not the way it works in in medicine. And I just can't understand how they can keep going on. I mean, I can't imagine any. If you can you imagine if like Ford had to pay a sixty billion dollar fine for cars that hurt people, nobody'd buy Fords anymore. But the very next week, the drug companies come out with a new thing, and people are like, "Oh, okay, cool. I don't have to yeah, buy it Ford, now." Yeah, or... Ford had a huge settlement with the Pinto. Volkswagen had a had a twenty five billion dollar settlement or something like that. So this stuff has happened before, and with Enron, we stuck people in jail. But our rule of law has broken down and we just don't have it. We're the best country in the world still because we still have a constitution, but our amendments with the exception of the second have been ruined. So at least in the last two years, this happened so rapidly. I mean, the freedom of speech is going away. We're still free to talk, but mm -hmm. we just uh, spoke about uh, censorship of this video sure. and it happens all the time. And so the other amendments are gone. People are being held without bail. I mean, it it is amazing scene, and we're hoping to turn this thing around. And I work on it full time. Sure. Do you feel there's a sense, a general sense, of, among the I guess I don't want to say normal people, lay people who aren't in the medical field, that there's something amiss here? Um, do you think it's there's something like in the medical field? Is there a feeling that uh, between nurses and other folks that work in there that things aren't quite right um, well i i don't have to educate you about this um because it sounds like you read about it and listened to some uh things mm -hmm. um but uh i don't think the doctors i don't think half of them are aware of what's going on and they there's a old saw about um it being difficult to persuade a man of a point if they're 
finances or their income depends on them not understanding, sure. right? Sure. And so these guys not only had this financial conflict, but they have been bred as sheep, right? And they, um, not all of them are sheep. I mean, these, you know, it's the it's the most elite group of intellectuals in the country, large group. I mean, it's there are, there are more elite groups, but a, for a group of a million people in the United States, it's the smartest bunch. But they seem to be the the smart ones, the well educated ones, seem to be more vulnerable to this psychosis that's slipping around the world and this inability to see two sides of the story or even explore uh, what's going on accurately. And I mean, I, I'm 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 contemptuous of my peers. So why do you why do you think that is? What what are the? I mean, is it? financial do the, are they kind of trapped in debt of school trying to you know every medical board in the country these the, these guys are ruled state by state by these medical boards and they have draconian powers they can jerk your license away which means taking away something that these people have worked for you know 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 years mm -hmm. uh, pursuing and they can do that almost arbitrarily, not completely, but you know, there's a, there's a semblance of legal action and every medical board in the country sent letters to all the doctors in the country saying that if they spoke up about this um, recent issue about whether or not these uh, treatments worked, um, they could get their license jerked or they mm -hmm. could get censured. So not every medical board is, is that active in that regard, but some of them have been quite active and people have gotten their license taken away for, quote, spreading mis misinformation, right. which is simply the exercise of free speech and scientific debate. Sure. And isn't it weird that we don't see when, and I guess, you know, we've alluded and, and kind of talked about COVID indirectly here a few times, but isn't it weird that we don't see two really smart doctors discussing the back and forth of treatment or any any aspect of it it seems like there's just this one narrative and it just gets pushed down our throats 24 7 maybe even more somehow and anytime anybody stands up to ask a question it's like nope quiet nope quiet and it's it's the strangest thing i've ever seen in my entire life like it, it's it's so blatant that it, it's frustrating it's evil john it's crazy yeah it's evil and it's a counter to all American principles that we shouldn't be able to debate something. Um, yeah, the, the, uh, the, the most shocking thing to most people is the wall of disinformation. And it wasn't as shocking to me because I wrote Butchered by Healthcare. I wrote a book about pharmaceutical companies' misdeeds. And their standard operating procedure is to, uh, to put up publicity, write write articles that that show their point of view and many times to create false studies right done in another country and sometimes they're created out of whole cloth that means they make them up all together from start to finish for example there was a study published in lancet um it must have been six months ago about how hydroxychloroquine was hazardous and didn't work for covid right well this thing was Pulled down. This thing was such an obvious fraud that the observers um, started squawking within a few weeks, and it got pulled down without a comment. Mm -hmm. But this is pharmaceuticals' standard operating procedure to create to create all kinds of fake stories about 
ivermectin being a horse uh, treatment and all this stuff. So it, it's nothing new. It's just a larger, more and more. Um, yeah. So what let's back up to a little bit here for the hydroxy. So that was one of the ones when we started going into everything in 2021 or 2020, 2020 rather. So I have nothing but time on my hands <clears throat> like everybody else. I don't know. Um, you know, what your thoughts are, but at the beginning, you're like, holy shit, what, you know, what is going to happen here? What's going on? How bad is this? And I remember sitting and reading through different things and stumbling across hydroxy and they had, you know, shown it was successful with the first SARS COVID. And as you read, they've been using this medicine forever. So it just sort of made this sense, like, why don't we start with this? And which is what it sounds like a lot of doctors did. Let's look for stuff we already have instead of trying to reinvent or create something out of thin air. So I rem I distinctly remember a day when I read that and I'm like, oh, good. It looks like there's already a medicine that's going to help us, and, you know, get through this. And then I remember uh, Trump came on TV and said something about it. And then it was like the very next day I'm watching stuff on TV and I'm like, wait, what? No, that's not that's not true. <laughs> like that's that's completely false. Everything they're saying about this is completely false. And it was the strangest thing in the world that there's something that helps people, you know, and you can debate the efficacy of it and when to give it. Oh, you can't. There's 260 studies. Well, I guess what I was saying was, you know, it's, it's one of those things, too, that um, in large populations, it seems like it's one of the major uh, drugs that they've gave to combat it, like in India and different places like that. But where, where people get weird about it is it, it seems like we're through the whole COVID thing, it was, we got to get tested. And when you get tested, just go home and wait till you're going to die and then come back. Like we never gave. And then the tests I saw, they would wait till the people came back and they're severely sick or, you know, right on death's door. And then they'd give them hydroxy and be like, this doesn't work at all. And it was just the wrong time completely. And it only works in the first week. And they, you know, just, ivermectin may have some efficacy later, but you understand that the reason why they could not admit there was any treatment at all for this was this thing was a conditional use or an experimental drug, right? These vaxes or whatever you call them. I call them the clot shots because they create so much clotting, you know, strokes and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, if they admitted there was any effective treatment for COVID, uh, they would have to walk back the whole thing and it would take away their conditional use authorization. It would take away their uh, ability to avoid the lawsuits and the whole thing. So that's why there was such pushback. And how much of that do you suppose is, if you went along with that on any, any stage from the government all the way down to the, you know, somewhere in your local hospital, that you kind of don't want to walk that back because then you have to admit that you, you know, potentially didn't treat people as good as you could have through the years. And you know what I mean? It, it seems like a lot of everybody covering their ass at this point by continuing to say things don't work that clearly do. You know, it, it's so bad and our, our governing systems are so ruined that I don't know if we're going to be able to get around this, but I think these important um, Joe Rogan interviews have managed to convince a large number of people. And this is a very positive thing. The three things that have happened, which are the most impressive, is uh, Rogan interviewed Peter McCullough and Robert Malone, who are 
I mean, those guys are at the top of the academic heap. And of course, they've been derided now, too, by all this enormous amount of money. We showered this money on pharmaceutical industry, and they have used it for propagandist purposes. And I, I, when, I, when I reviewed Butchered by Healthcare, one of the, th this information in this book, one of the most discouraging things, and this was several years ago, I mean, four years ago, three and a half, four years ago, was that pharma dominates the internet. They're constantly rewriting Wikipedia. And they, they if, you go, if you search for any term, you know, any disease term, you, you encounter what I call a link farm. Mm -hmm. which is a whole bunch of links to studies and all kinds of stuff that is all put together as propaganda to sell these prescription drugs that are paid for by our generous insurance and uh, Medicare and, and so on, those programs. So, I mean, there's no limit to how much we can be gouged if somebody else pays the bill. And in theory, somebody else is paying the bill, but in actual point of fact, we're all paying the bill for right. these things. Right. It, uh, do you ever, I guess I don't, what would be the number one thing? Like when was the first, uh, thing in through the pandemic that you were like, uh Oh, this is not going well. Like not, obviously it's not going well, but this is turned into something other than what it should be. So I, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to disappoint anybody to say to your audience that I'm a little like Winnie the Pooh. I have to go around the circle three or four times <laughs> before I figure it out. And I was, I was lost in the edit, editing and the, and the, uh, you know, writing of these two books of mine. And so I didn't consider myself interested or uh, an expert or willing to talk about this vaccine or the pandemic until probably five months ago. And then a light bulb. Yeah. I mean, I heard Peter McCullough for the first time. And when I heard that we could have saved 85% of the, I mean, things stunk from the start to the finish. And I, I, I mean, when I heard that the vaccine had 90 to 95% efficacy, I knew that was a joke because these clowns hadn't put out anything in 30 years that had any efficacy at all. I knew that the major moneymakers were failures, including, you know, the HPV virus vaccine and the influenza that we uh, mentioned. Um, but, uh, I didn't fully understand this. And so I'm, I, as critical as I am of everyone, it's hard for me to beat anybody over the head too hard because I didn't figure it out until five months ago. And I listened to Peter McCullough and your listeners should go on Spotify. And if you have to pay for Spotify and listen to those two interviews and there are others. And, uh, I think that if you're willing to put a little bit of time in, there's two books that are tremendous. RFK Jr.'s The Real Anthony Fauci tells the whole scene. I mean, that that thing, it probably is the worldwide number one bestseller for the last eight weeks since it came out. And that's hard to believe because New York Times says it's number four or number five. <laughs> but nobody has reviewed that book because they're afraid to, re I, you know, I guess they're, this is not part of the narrative. Mm -hmm. But it has... I mean, my books have five, 700 references each. This book has 2,200 references, okay? And there's, it's very easy to read, very well written. And you're going to fall out of your chair when you find out this career criminal has been allowed to be in charge of nearly a trillion dollars of healthcare money distribution over the decades. 
Can you imagine that? A trillion, 700 million or some crazy figure like that, uh, you know, estimated. He's passed out the research money for the whole freaking healthcare industry for decades. And the other book that I think is is really good is if you can if you can stand it. And I mean, even I, I'm, I'm studying this stuff six to eight hours a day. I have a hard time believing what's going on. Uh, and the other book is Peter Bregan, B-R-E-G-G-I-N. Um, and it's called COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. And that is excellent. And it tells the, the links between the different countries. And, and I don't think, I don't know how anyone can look at our current situation with their eyes open and not know that we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole world is in trouble. There's no place to run. I mean, we can we can go to Florida, but it may be like running to the the stern of the Titanic as it's going under. You know, right. it's weird that everything. So that, we'll just take Fauci for example. Everything that that came out of Fauci for the past two years, and well, let's just start with how does a person stay in that position for so long? That's a weird. I can one tell you how it works because okay. that, <laughs> it seems like a new person should be every few years heading up the agency to you know to. Yeah. new ideas and fresh people in. So the question is, is how did Herbert Hoover stay in power so long? And the answer is, the answer is that he was thought to have blackmail material on practically everyone, you know? And I mean, you've got a problem, I've got a problem, maybe there's something they could even blackmail us about. I mean, who knows? But um, this Fauci, passing out that much money gave him, I mean, he basically smashed the careers of the people that didn't fall in line with his his he's essentially working for the drug companies producing drugs to make as much money as possible and milking the money out of the federal system that was his goal now i don't think he directly set out to to kill um thousands of people in the united states or even hundreds of thousands in the case of covid or millions of people in africa which seemed fairly i'm fairly confident that he killed tens of thousands, if not more people in Africa. Um, but uh, there it is. I mean, he's as indifferent to harm as these uh, companies. What? So what's the African deal there? He killed people in Africa. What was that about? Well, he was responsible for medical trials that didn't have proper um, oh, yes. oversight. And I, I mean, it just that. goes on and on. It's just, it's, it's amazing. And I highly advise, I highly recommend that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, if you read, if you don't, I can, I can link summaries to that. And there's also summaries on my podcasts, which you can get into from my website, um, which you can listen to. It's easier. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm happy you, half of my books are available on audio. I mean, I'm not a moneymaker, you know, <laughs> not a dime. These things sell 30 copies a day, but the, the money all goes to, you know, ads and this and that. Mm-hmm. So it's sure. it's a break even. But so- I, you, you listen to half of my butchered mm-hmm. by healthcare from yep. my website and you can do that it's also on youtube yep it's really good i recommend it too by Thank the you. way um so what what's weird about the talking about peter mccullough that interview and uh, malone is when you listen to it they gave you things that made sense so they broke things down and explained it and you were kind of had aha moments where you're like oh okay well that makes sense in the context of whatever we've seen in the past couple of years but when you see most of the people on TV, like Fauci and other ones, it's more of a wear a mask because. And, and take the, my word for it. The other reason is because it protects other people. So if you say, 
I don't think that this, uh, this helps or works, then they instantly go, well, you don't care about other people? And turns you into a bad guy and shuts yeah. you up. That's you know, we have a hundred studies on those masks, weird thing. and a hundred studies say they're total horse hockey, and two studies, which are are ruined studies, say that they they work. Right. So they 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 don't work. It's ridiculous. It's a compliance tool. Mm-hmm. And it's almost it's like a real virtue signal too. When you see people, yeah. it's almost like, you know, when people drive jeeps and they wave to each other. It it it's a way for like the the uh, people saving the world to know. Each, each other when they see him on the street. So, yeah. So then is it, do you think it's when we get into the vaccines and I'm, I'll tell you me personally, from the beginning, I kind of read most of the stuff said to myself, I think I'm going to be fine. Take some vitamins and, you know, just try and live as healthy as I can uh, and keep on living life. I didn't think it, if I did get COVID to this point, I don't believe I have. Um, and if I did, I didn't know it, I guess I I was never really sick or anything, but everybody I know around me that's gotten vaccinated has gotten sick in the past few months. And it's the strangest thing to me that I'm going through life, raw dogging everything. And these guys have are on their third shot and still getting sick, you know, and it, it, it starts to make me wonder again, if we were taking any other medication and it didn't seem to work, we would go, that shit doesn't work. But instead we go, well, thank God I took that medication because if I didn't, this thing that it was supposed to prevent me from getting would be so much worse, which seems like the most confusing statement in the entire world. You you see that the medicine that's in theory designed for every person in the world once or twice or thrice is clearly the most profitable medication ever invented. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. You, you, your listeners probably have heard about, I mean, there's many evidence, many lines of evidence that show that the vaccine effort has been an abject failure and an overall terrible harm, right? We have, we have a thousand studies that show that, right? A thousand studies have shown the vaccine harms. We have, you know, we have, we have the VAERS database. You know about that? The mm-hmm. V-A-E-R-S database. Well, that thing is, in, in, in brief, it's a U.S. and Europe-based database that catalogs the deaths and harms from the vaccine. And I haven't kept up with it lately, but there must be, you know, let's see if I remember. I mean, there, there, I think it's over a million adverse reactions, 20,000 deaths, and, uh, you know, the number of hospitalizations is in the, you know, high tens of thousands. It probably is 100,000. Let's see, here it is. Um, so the, the, the studies, the people that observe this thing, it's an imperfect system. But the people who are careful observers of it think that it's underreported by a factor of 100. <laughs> now, it's not underreported by a factor of 100 for fatalities, right? That's too much. And we can count the bodies. We're, mm. we're not that stupid. But it could easily be underreported by a factor of 5 to 10. So that puts fatalities at 100,000 to 200,000, you know, easy, mm-hmm. um, due to the vaccine. Now, it's hard to establish causality between getting the jab and having a complication, there are a variety of things that happens. You know, you can get a blood clot on your brain. You can, you can, you can drop dead of a heart attack. You can, you can get a chronic uh, myocarditis that plagues you the rest of your life. Um, but one of the most convincing things that I've seen lately is 
I think it's Indiana, there's an insurance company there that the overall death rate, the overall number of people that died day to day, you know, week to week in 2021 went up by 40%. And this is unheard of, you know, for these insurance guys know what you're talking about because they, mm -hmm. they catalog the deaths, right? And this is a, I think they say it's a three or four sigma event, which means it's vanishingly impossible. They've never seen anything like it in 50 to 100 years that they've been around. So, and we don't have clear proof that it was a vaccine, but it's very suggestive because that's the big new factor that everybody has been exposed to. Um, the death rate, I've heard people say that it went up slightly in 2020, 2020 the year before, but I've also... I, you know, from what I understand, it didn't. So it basically, the COVID pandemic didn't do a thing to the overall death rate because it harvested people who were, had one foot on a banana peel and one foot in the grave. You know, mm -hmm. these are elderly right. people or people that are enormously obese or they're, they, they don't look good. And so they were due to, um, you know, take a nap pretty soon. And right. uh, they, they died a month early or a year early. So it didn't have an impact on the overall fatality rate. But in 2021, as we rolled out the vaccine, the mortality rate for this one state, which is a very good sample for the rest of the country, increased by 40%, which is a, it's a huge, huge thing. So, I mean, it should be fairly easy to boil down the numbers of the people that passed away was, I mean, probably nobody's That's hard. work yet. You know, it's hard because now they've done extensive autopsies on a limited sample of people who were thought to die from the vaccine. And they proved that 13 out of the 14 that they did autopsies on definitely had vaccine related injury, but um, you know, good quality autopsies, you know, the, the pathologists are encouraged to report it as nothing or, a, you know, a regular death and not anyway. So the, 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 it's very hard to sort out what's going on uh, scientifically, but there are so many suggested suggestive data points that I, I think that we have to conclude that this, this vaccine is an enormous worldwide disaster. It shouldn't be used on anyone. The very limited benefit that it's been touted to give you, right? Two to four months of decreased disease severity for each jab is not worth the risk. So I, I can tell you some other insane factoids that should help your listeners understand what we're facing, um, just to give them an idea how crazy the whole narrative is. Sure. Okay, so there's this thing called remdesivir, which is an antiviral that was approved for use inside the hospitals. It was approved because it doesn't work, right? Because you see, if it was approved because it did work, that would, that would kill the whole vaccine effort because you would no longer be, be able to use an experimental drug um, that, that has an alternative treatment. Mm -hmm. You get it? Now, the question is, why are we pushing the vax on little kids? That's, that's like, that's that like one. the big issue. I mean, nobody, there's nobody in the hospital, nobody in the country thinks that's a good idea. Well, the reason is because if the clot shot is approved for pediatrics, and that includes even 16 and 17 year olds, then their liability relief is permanently removed. Is that crazy? So that's why they do that. Okay. Now here's a third one. People who, are entering the, who enter the U.S. illegally are not offered the vax. Do you have any idea why? Which seems, no, I don't. It seems crazy. Well, it's not crazy because the companies know that they are not U.S. citizens, so the liability relief 
is not there is not they don't are covered by the liability relief and when they get their inevitable vax complications they can sue the company without mercy so how's it working in all the other companies where the vaccines out do they have the same protections that our government well, awarded them well now my knowledge about that is limited but from what i understand these other countries have been bullied by the big pharmaceutical companies to have these crazy contracts where they they pledge large parts of their resources in order to um, cover the potential liability. So the, the countries that it's being used in, yes, they do have liability protection and it's been instituted by these contracts with these different uh, VAX manufacturers that have, they, they pushed them around and gotten, gotten, the, uh, gotten them to do that. Right. What, what's really weird, especially with the vaccine stuff, is you would think in 2020, I, I know that, we were probably doing more social distancing, quote unquote. Um, you would have think or thought that COVID would have just ripped through the nursing homes over and over and over again. And it would just have been a never ending wave as soon as it made it into the, the nursing home. Um, but it didn't. And then whenever this year, when all the vaccines started coming out, then it just seems like it got way worse than it ever was. And it's one of those ones where I don't know where trying to parse the information between were these people, you know, at the end of their life anyways, and, and tipping off for whatever natural reason they would. And they also tested positive for COVID. Um, or is there something else going on here? Yeah. Well, let's once again, make it, make it clear that if they were offered early treatments that were well known to the medical community early, you know, middle of 2020, I mean, the, the fatality rate, even for the vulnerable population, would have gone down to nearly zero. I mean, it would have been it would have been 10 percent or 15 percent of what it was. Mm -hmm. OK, so I don't think that anyone has a patient that went in the hospital, needed intubation and got remdesivir, who was previously treated with and had reasonable vitamin D levels, took zinc and uh, and uh, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin early in their disease course. That that's not that's undocumented, right? Mm -hmm. I, I would challenge anyone to find somebody like that. Uh, and in fact, I spoke to a uh, intensive care unit uh, doctor at a conference, and I I said, well, what's going on? She says they're all unvaccinated. Well, of course, that's flipped now. Now the vast majority are vaccinated, and the vac vaccine vaccinated people seem to be super spreaders. In other words, they're also spreading the disease around more avidly. But I asked a woman, I said, look, I said, has anyone been treated in your knowledge, to your knowledge, before they went in the hospital with this horrible problem? And she said, oh, I don't know. And you know what that is? That's a lie. Because she had to take a medical history and she had to know all the medications the patients had taken recently. Sure. And she would have that written down on the patient's chart. That's the way it works. You cannot get away with not having a decent medical history, including the medications, allergies, and all that stuff. So, so the answer is she didn't know of anyone who had been treated properly before their hospital admission. And she was whining to me about all the problems in the hospital and this and that. So... Do you, so a person like that, do you, do you think that, um, I, I guess we, I, I'm kind of going back to that same thing I was saying before. Do you think that person is trying to uphold a, you know, a, a line of thought that they've had through the whole thing and they don't want to ever say they were wrong or change course? 
or the, and they're just sort of following orders, quote unquote? Um, it's a great question. And I think it's a little different for everybody, but it's sort of a, a mass, you know, there's such a, if once people understand that the new, and this sounds, it's, this is the most sickening part of it to me, is that the standard news media generates the stories from some central source. And you can, you can learn this by watching these videos where they say almost word for word, <laughs> the same thing at CNN and all right, those other places. Right. I mean, it's, it's just sickening. And um, when you hear something over and over again, I think Lenin said, a lie repeated often enough becomes the truth, right? Mm -hmm. So for whatever reason, these people have been conditioned. And with this woman, I don't think her courage level was very high. I mean, she was at a book, uh, we, you know, I was at a book uh, symposium and I, where she, you know, she's writing fiction and this is her out from her intense medical job. And she, mm -hmm. and she, and I said, look, I'm sorry. I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, 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 you know, hassle you during your time off. And that's what she said, which she, she kind of tries to cool off, but sure. I, I can tell you, I'm not so courageous because I don't have a medical license to preserve. I'm retired. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, the people like me who, who have, who contributed the, to the, uh, to the information that I learned in Butchered by Healthcare and wrote down and tried to make simple, um, they're all retired. You know, these guys, they don't get courageous during their careers because they lose their, you know, multiple seven, multiple six figure jobs. Right. The, the journal editors, there's a journal, a New England Journal of Medicine editor named um, Marcia Angel, Angle or something like that. And I mean, she just was a, a tick in the side of the pharma industry, but she didn't start talking until she till she retired. Right. And I'm the same way. So I, I don't want anybody to think I'm, I'm, I've got huevos that are bigger than anybody else's. Sure. But I'm I, like a lot of other people. I'm, I just can't believe how far we've come away from our medical ideal of putting the patients first. I mean, it just it seems to have vanished. Right. And we've actually seen that people are willing to go along with anything seems to preserve their job. Genocide. I mean, and that's what we're seeing here. Like it's genocide, bananas. I was just following orders, right? right. The German line, but these these the, the legal precedents for for uh, taking down these these kinds of people are all there, but the question is is whether our courts and our justice system has has enough power to do any of it. There are international lawyers attempting to to create some of the the trouble for for these people that have been responsible for so many deaths and so much economic destruction. But we'll see whether it works. I mean, I, I, the thing seems like it's turning around a little bit with those Rogan interviews mm -hmm. and RFK Jr.'s worldwide international bestseller. Mm -hmm. And it does seem the more people I talk to, um, there, it seems like we went in a few stages. So there was the right at the beginning, everybody's afraid and scared. And then what made me laugh was the most hardcore um, masks, try and stay away from people, all that stuff. As soon as they got their first vaccine, it was like they had a golden ticket and they could just take off their masks and off they go. And it was, it seems so weird to me that people were so needy for a solution. They were willing to buy into whatever solution it was. And no matter the, you know, the long-term effects or the lack of knowledge about anything, it was like, Oh, that's the solution that the news is telling us. Okay. We're all going to do it. And we're not going to question it. This is pharma standard operating procedure for decades. They create a disease, they create a problem, then they disease monger it, then they create a solution for it. And the solution may work 
or it may not work, or it may work in a statistical way that's so small it's imperceptible. Mm-hmm. So this, this, they've got many miracles that do work, and I'm thankful that they have them. But um, they're they're utterly amoral about patient harm or anything else, but the the money they make. I, I think we should go over a couple of basic, obvious things that your listeners probably understand, but we we should just list them here about about the virus, okay, and the vaccine. So we we know. I mean, everybody knows that kids get killed by the vaccine a hundred times more than they do by COVID. So they should never, ever consider a shot. Okay. This is the hill Robert Malone said he'd die on. Number two, pregnant women should never, ever, ever get the shot because it kills their fetuses quite often. This happened to a friend of mine. His, his daughter fetus was killed by the shot, right? She had an auto, automatic abortion within a very short time. So how do they, okay. how, do, how do they know that? That's what I always struggle you don't, with. So right. You don't, but statistically when when it happened, okay, you get the shot, you drop dead in the chair. <laughs> Causality can be assumed, right, right? Right, right, Okay, so, but we have studies of pregnant women who got the shot, and they're they're not super small. And in some of these studies, 80% of them had a spontaneous abortion, which is higher than, much higher than the standard rate. Okay, so the other thing, once you have had COVID, you can never get a serious version of it ever again. You don't have anything to fear. No one can give you COVID and you can't give COVID to anyone else. We have 100 studies that have proven the secondary number of secondary cases, either zero or vanishingly small. Now, you can get Omicron again, but Omicron is like you have to blow your nose three times and you're done with it, right? And recovery from any COVID protects you completely with natural immunity, including Omicron. And we have probably 70% of U.S. citizens have already gotten the disease. Omicron has swept through the country like a a big broom, and hopefully it'll get rid of the narrative along with the disease. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about the the, the shots and it doesn't create any immunity. And the last thing that's super important that we should mention before we go any further, if you have no symptoms, you cannot spread the virus. The the virus does not teleport, okay? (laughs) It goes through droplets in the air. And so if you don't cough, you don't sneeze, it, it's not a problem. And mm-hmm. you need exposure for hours usually to get it uh, to somebody who's symptomatic. I got it when I went to that book fair. There were 1,500 people there and a few of them were coughing away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so sure. I got it. Yeah. So what was funny is uh, I went to a large trade show, first one in two years, back in December. And through, and I don't know if anybody knows this, but I'm sure you do, through the Americans, uh, America Frontline Doctors website, I was able to go there. Basically, I was I did a, um, a remote visit with a doctor. Basically, Consult. said I was looking for a prophylactic. I was going to be around a large amount of people, and they sent me some hydroxychloroquine. So I got it, and basically, it says to take one a day for five days, and then I think it's one a week for there on out if you're still looking for protection. So I did that, and I go to this trade show, and it's packed. I mean, it's in Indianapolis at the convention center. It's, the whole place is full. I don't know how many thousands of people, but almost nobody's wearing a mask. I'm, I'm, I would say one out of a couple thousand. And I came back from that show fully expecting to get sick because every year I've gone to that show for 10 years, I always get sick when I come home. At, like every time I come home with a cold, a cough, something. I'm, I'm usually sick the next week. My wife, you know, every year she's like, well, you're going to get sick this time. I came home and I was fine absolutely perfectly fine didn't get sick at all and it kind of makes you wonder like was it 
taking the hydroxychloroquine somehow kept any sort of virus or airborne thing from attaching and, and becoming worse or just dumb luck or what. But the fact that you can go there and that happens, it seems kind of coincidental. No, that works. Ivermectin works. Um, keeping your vitamin D levels high, you should take, you know, some of the recommendations are take 10,000 if you're over 200 pounds a day, 10,000 international units and 5,000 if you're under. And you check your levels and get your levels up near 100. I mean, that's a pretty good indication that you're not going to get a serious form of COVID or other viral illness. Take zinc daily, 50 milligrams a day. And, uh, you know, some people like quercetin. Uh, that's a an over-the-counter supplement that has effects similar to hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, it somehow helps the zinc uh, uh, work mm -hmm. and vitamin C. Large, you know, and the, the doses are all on, uh, there is there's several websites we can put in the show notes, but, uh, but um, AAPS, Online COVID Treatment Guide, you can um, search for that and find it. And that's that's perfect. You scan that thing, you'll understand the whole thing. Why do you think the, the vitamin companies didn't, jump on some huge marketing campaign to to sell vitamins i mean they obviously seem like a i mean at the end of the day i think you'd have to take a gaggle of vitamin d to to it, it seems like it's almost i don't want to say impossible to take too much but you'd have to really work hard at it so things like that are super safe also show to be you know effective it seems like a no-brainer that that should have been marketed or, or explained or or put out there more well, the reason is it's not very profitable. It's compared to the prescription drugs, it's, it's like a, a nothing, you know? So uh, yeah, obviously in the, in the world as it should be, um, that's the first thing on the list. Everybody get their vitamin D levels up and, you know, get some sun if you're outdoors. If you can, you can, you know, Florida lifeguards have levels of 130. <laughs> you can get your levels up that high if taken off D. Um, it, there are some toxicities with it, but you have to get up near 300 level, which is very high. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, the standard recommendations from the physicians are to, um, take D and you can even take more. If you get sick, you can take more, much more than that for a week or two to get your D levels up and check your levels at a, after three or four weeks. Mm -hmm. It sequesters, it is stored in the fat. So it does take a while to get your levels up after you increase the dose. And it just seems like that'd be a no-brainer across, no across the board. There's no ill Zinc effect. and D. <laughs> right. Zinc and D are the easiest, cheapest, smart way to go. And it's it's the, through this whole thing, and the child thing is the one that's really driven me crazy as well. It's, de it's, it's depressing. So I have a almost 10-year-old girl, and uh, there's just no way that I could see that a reason to give her this vaccine. Like... She's statistically I'm tell you a statistic that'll help you with this. Okay. Two years ago, 5% of us were homeschooled. Now it's 20%. So jerk her out of the school and homeschool her. She'll love it. <laughs> there's so many things you can do with homeschooling and there's organizations all online. It's very inexpensive. And you, you know, it's, it's the kids will love it too. And you can do their, their, uh, their other, uh, uh, you know, extracurricular activities. You can, take them to all kinds of things that you probably wouldn't have had time to do otherwise. Do you think they're going to keep pushing and make it mandatory for all? Cause as of right now, it's not mandatory for in our area for a vaccine for the children, but I have a bad feeling it's coming somehow. Well, the answer to that is they'll do anything they can get away with, but it doesn't, it looks like 
it looks like the controlled narrative is turning around a bit right now, the last few weeks. And the reason I think is the midterms plus Rogan plus McCullough plus mm-hmm. Robert Malone plus RFK. Sure. And Mercola is very important too. I don't know whether you found him. Uh, Biden declared him the number one enemy of the state at one point, and RFK Jr. was the second. These guys both have podcasts. Um, Bregan has a podcast, and they're the top three I recommend if you listen rather than read. Mm-hmm. But they also have printed material, and um, you know you can get RFK's book, Bregan's book, uh, Global Predators, and uh, Mercola has a massive amount of information. He was pressured so hard by these jackals, and I'm calling them jackals because they're they're snapping around, eating whatever they can. Um, he was pressured so hard that he took all his material for 25 years down off his website, right? And then he put his current material up for 48 hours each, and then he made it go away, Mercola.com. And so I would urge your, your listeners to buy their supplements from him. They're not super cheap, but they're certainly not out of the range of what, where you can buy them elsewhere. And you want to support his work. And in order to convince yourself that's important, listen to his podcasts, read his, read his uh, posts, and they're super well-written. He's got a team behind him. Yeah, that's he's got hundreds of people working for him and it's a, it's a very impressive thing i think he pushes some vitamins too hard so uh, you know bear that in mind but every almost every day there's another article that you can read about the situation and it's the latest mm-hmm. i have actually he took his stuff off of copyright so i have actually performed some of those as podcasts in my podcast so w- when you guys go to my website robertyohoauthor.com you can get into my podcast and listen to some of Mercola's work. And I credit him, of course, and it, it, it is off copyright. He was able to stick it back on Substack recently. He just stuck his, but you got to pay for that. Mm-hmm. So to, to bring this whole thing home, where do you think we go in the next 12 years? So if we sat down next January, not 12 years, 12 months, rather. If, 12 we, months. Sat, if we sat down next January and had a, a conversation again, do you think we're still doing vaccines? Do you think we're onto the umpteenth uh, version of COVID? Um, or do you think people are slowly starting to go, we're not doing this anymore? And The more you learn about this, the more you understand that it's a global phenomenon and there, is, there, are, there, are, there are forces that are controlling this thing centrally. Now, maybe they're all sort of cooperating together and it's not so much uh, coming down from on high, but um, the the control of the news and the censorship, um, it seems to be directed from a central source. Now, we don't know what that is, um, but the evil that's going on is terrible in the United States. But when you look at Canada and Germany and Austria and particularly Australia, it's worse. Mm-hmm. They're in much worse shape. And so... I I would urge your listeners to read as much as they can, understand as much as they can about it, and follow along with me. Uh, and we we're going to have a front seat uh, window on this thing. And I frankly, to answer your question, I don't know what's going to happen. It seems like the vaccine uh, uh, booster thing has has hit a stall right now. And even the the uh, World Health Organization said that the boosters are not indicated because they are not designed to treat the current variant, which is Omicron, you know, and who would want to treat Omicron with a dangerous booster anyway? It's right, nothing. Right. Um, so uh, they've hit a stall, but I think it has to do with the midterm elections. And so they're backing off a little bit. And I mean, 
I don't think they're going to stop. They have to, they have to push forward because if they fall back, um, in, if, if they were tried in a reasonable venue and there's a lot of people trying to drag these, these people into court, um, they would, they would certainly suffer some horrible consequence. I mean, it's their, their deeds have been genocidal, you know, and they've destroyed many, many people, even the suicides that have resulted from the lockdowns are an enormous, enormous thing. So, um, you know, we're, we're all going to have a front row seat and for your listeners, read as much as you can start with RFK Jr.'s book and, uh, and the, his podcast, um, listen to Mercola's podcast and listen to, uh, Bregan's podcast. If you, if you like podcasts, you're obviously here because you listen, <laughs> I'm the same way. Sure. I get all my information from listening. Sure, sure. At double speed most of the time. Right. Do you think there's a one last question? Do you think there's a weird coincidence that the government is sending out oodles and boodles of self-test, you know, and that, that whole thing that's been going on the past few weeks and Pfizer and uh, a couple others have come up with a pill that's FDA quote unquote okay. FDA approved. Do you think that's going to be our next year that we're going to get away from vaccines and move towards everybody gets a dose? Well, you know, <laughs> that's a two-part question. And the answer is Pfizer and those companies will do anything they can get away with. Now, the Pfizer pill has been satirized as being Pfizer-mectin, right? Ivermectin should be pennies a dose. Mm-hmm. Uh, this thing is going to cost Lord only knows how much. And it's certainly no better. There are side effects and problems. And so I would stay away from that. And, and you, you know, your listeners can send off to India and obtain this stuff. You don't have to get ripped off at your local drugstore. And they're all, they're all uh, price gouging because, you know, even if you do get a hold of the America's frontline doctor and have them call in a prescription, everybody's jumping on the bandwagon and the, uh, the local pharmacies are just as bad as, uh, right. you know, they're, they're uh, opportunistic also. So, um, and the second, I'm sorry, what was the second part of the question? If they're going to move away from vaccines and just start pushing this pill, because yeah. they're obviously sending out all these tests that you seem, it seems okay, like the they second, would have done the that. The second part was the testing. So what is the reason to get a COVID test? And the answer is only if you're sick. Right. Why would you get a test for, for a condition that where you can't communicate it because <laughs> you know in your heart that the virus doesn't teleport, right? Mm-hmm. You can't communicate it. And you can't, you know, if you've already had it, you can't get it, you know, and if you do get it, it's likely to be Omicron now. And if I were you personally, what I would do is I wait another month and then I go out and see if I can get as many people as possible to cough in my face <laughs> and get the Omicron and be done with it. And that, you know, I was unlucky, lucky enough to get a more severe variant. I probably got Delta and two or three weeks ago, it was about half Delta and half Omicron, but now it's shifting towards Omicron because it's so freaking infectious. So you wait another month, then get the disease. It'll be a two day thing. And mm-hmm. then you can forget about for all practical purposes, uh, the cold viruses or any future variants of this, this, sure. uh, this, uh, biosynthesized virus. Perfect. Well, I really enjoyed this. Um, lots of information. And what was your website again, where everybody can go? I'm, okay, I'm going to put it in the show Rob- notes. RobertYohoAuthor.com. And I'm thinking I'm close to getting on Substack. If you sign up for my uh, newsletter, um, you can do that on my website. And I don't have any uh, freaking uh, Facebook or Twitter or any <laughs> of that stuff. You know, <laughs> I just might as well forget that. I'm, I'm getting on Gab, which seems to be a, there's a problem with it because apparently it doesn't fit on your phone mm. because the, the app stores won't 
won't, you know, they're censoring it. Right. Yeah, right. they won't tolerate it. So, so you can use that on your computer. Okay. Well, I very much appreciate you sitting down with me tonight. And um, thank you. John, thank you for giving me a platform to talk about this stuff. Sure. Anytime. We'll have to do it again sometime.